presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am the chairman of the board of Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us. As we get further into the summer, the discussion of opening schools begins to heat up. The topic on a lot of people's minds these days is education. CSI just released a report on school choice and how charter schools fit into Colorado's education system, how they stack up with public schools and what we can learn from them is something that's important, something that's important for all of us. As someone who firmly believes in the power of education and the importance of empowering local learning providers and ground up innovation, we should also be supporting a system that focuses on outcomes, not inputs. Today's guests, include CSI Education Fellow, Brenda Bush Dickhoner, and Dan Schaller, President, Colorado League of Charter Schools. We'll discuss how Colorado charter high school graduation rates compare to non-charter high schools, and how charter schools may have closed the education gap with students of color. We can find some background for this in the discussion of Brenda's latest report, Digging into the Data on Charter Schools an in-depth look at graduation rates for students of color. Let's get started. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about what charter schools are and what they aren't. Give us a little bit of education and share with us how charter schools differ from public schools and private schools. Dan, you're the president of an organization that uh, you certainly know a lot about charter schools and that difference. Share that with us, would you please? Sure thing, Earl, and thank you so much for having me today, and thank you to CSI for uh, commissioning this report um, and, and working to put it together. Maybe I'll start with uh, the difference between uh, charter schools and private schools before pivoting over to the difference between charter schools and other public schools. So first off, charter schools are public schools within Colorado, uh, meaning that they are funded with public tax dollars. They are subject to the same standards and assessments sorry, as all other public schools in the state, uh, and they are non-sectarian and non-religious per the Colorado Constitution that defines all public schools in the state. Uh, that said, um, charter schools are run uh, by their own independent boards of education. So a, a charter is essentially a contract uh, between the charter school and the local school district that serves as their authorizer. And that, chart, that contract governs uh, the terms of their existence. Um, and so that gives them flexibility oftentimes over curriculum, uh, over their budget, over the time and instructional hours that they spend with their students. Uh, so the charter school under that contract does have uh, some additional flexibilities, but those flexibilities are in, are in exchange for accountability. You're talking about the requirement that the charter school organizers have back to the, the public school, school boards and things like that. I appreciate that. But what obligation does the school board have in funding the charter schools, do they fund on a per student basis the same as they do in their public school? The charter student, does a charter school student receive the same funding as a public school student? It's a great question. So under uh, the state law, uh, because charter school students are public school students, they are subject to the same state per pupil funding uh, that all other public school students receive. Uh, where there is sometimes some discretion is when it comes to federal resources and to local resources. Sometimes school districts raise what are called bonds or mill levy overrides, and sometimes they have a lot of discretion over whether or not they share those resources with their charter school. 
Uh, we did successfully pass some legislation in Colorado a few years ago that put some guardrails around districts needing to share their mill levy override revenue with their charter schools. Uh, but districts do tend to still have quite a bit of discretion over their bond dollars, which is resources that are used for facility. On average, because of those discrepancies, charter schools do still tend to be funded at about 85 cents on the dollar relative to their traditional public school students in the state of Colorado. Uh, but we have made some progress in terms of trying to level the playing field there in recent years. So you have a bit of a financial deficit to start with relative to the public schools. Now, it'd be interesting to see what kind of results you have with a 15% disadvantage, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Please, you're going to compare the uh, charter schools to private schools, the difference there, if you would, please. Yeah, so as I was saying before, a charter is essentially a contract, which is the agreement that a, uh, a charter school operator has with their district. And that governs everything from uh, their curriculum to their budget to their performance metrics and so all charter schools, uh, in exchange for some flexibility, are held accountable to results for their students such that if they're not hitting those targets, they can be revoked. They can be closed, and all charter schools have to go through a regular renewal process to determine whether they're, they're meeting the terms of their contract and whether they can be allowed to stay open. Uh, so that's sort of the fundamental difference between charter public schools versus traditional public schools. Brenda, you did this study, and, and you've done a lot of work with regards to the area of uh, education. Where do the majority of charter schools exist? I understand that that uh, sometimes you've got some parents in some high-income areas that decide they just want to have their own charter school, and so it's, there's a social economic disadvantage for socials for charter schools. That's the rumor that's out there. But is that real? Thanks, Earl. Charter schools are located all over the state of Colorado. We have rural charter schools suburban charter schools, we have urban charter schools, um, we have charter schools that have specific focuses on you know, outdoor learning or expeditionary learning, we have charter schools focused on STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, um, or schools that are serving all students of all ages. And you know, right now our enrollment numbers in charter schools continue to grow year over year. And right now charter schools are serving a higher majority of students of color than non-charter schools and a higher, major, or a higher percentage, I should say, higher proportion of students who are English language learners and students of color than non-charter schools. And they are serving a, a little bit lower proportion of students who are free and reduced price lunch eligible and who are identified as students with disabilities. So that's a little bit about the characteristics of students at charter schools. Did I hear you correctly say that there's more students of color, which would be another way of saying the African-Americans and Hispanics? that are participating in charter schools than the average in the public schools of Colorado? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. In the most recent data that we, we used in our report, which was the 2018-19 school year, about 48% of students at charter schools, so almost half of students at charter schools identified as students of color, and that could be uh, Black, Af um, African-American, Hispanic, could also be Asian, any type of not, uh, student who was identifying as non-white racial or ethnic category. Um, and then in non-charter schools, it was about 46.5% of students who are identifying as students of color. So very similar proportions, slightly higher at charter schools for that academic school year. Okay, so there's not a disproportional advantage for one group versus another is what you're saying. Is that a fair statement? That's fair, yes. 
Dan, I'm not going to give an easy question to you here. Let's look at the whole socioeconomic issue. What percent of the bottom two quintiles of our socioeconomic grouping, grouping uh, are served by uh, charter schools? The closest proxy we have to get a sense of this is what Brenda was just referring to. It's called free or reduced price lunch students or FRL students. It's the closest thing we have to an approximation of the percentage of students in poverty that schools in the state are serving. Uh, according to the most recent data available on this, the disparity there is about, or the averages are that about 42% of students uh, in traditional public schools qualify for FRL uh, as compared with about 35%, if I'm not mistaken, of about charter public school students. Now, the concern of the issue there is that it's a very imprecise measure at best for students of poverty. And the reason for that um, is because in order to most accurately track how many of your students qualify for this program for FRL status, you need to have a fully operational hot lunch kitchen at your school that qualifies for the federal national lunch program. And because of the funding disparity we were just talking about a little bit earlier, the majority of charter schools in Colorado actually don't have a full service hot lunch kitchen um, that would therefore incentivize them to make sure they're getting the most accurate numbers of students turning in the paperwork to apply for that or to qualify for that. We, we struggle with that as, a, as the best approximation, and we actually think that the number of students in charter schools that are in poverty is much closer to the statewide average than that number necessarily reflects. Brenda, I have read a lot and opinion pages and various folks all over the country talking about charter schools cherry pick. And they cherry pick their students. In other words, they pick the best students from the district run schools. They say, hey, look at how successful we are. And I want you to talk a little bit about that later on. But is there any truth to the fact that uh, charter schools go out and recruit the better students so they can look good and and uh, have their, as Dan said, their charter be met? Researchers across the country have looked at this issue, Earl, and they've studied it in different cities across uh, across the country using different types of statistical analysis and overall have not found evidence to support this claim that charter schools are enrolling only the highest performing students. Um, they've found that more often the case is that students who are entering charter schools have no difference in test scores than students who are not entering charter schools who are at district-run schools. And, uh, you know, the same can be said, too, of arguments that charter schools push out higher or lower-performing students so that they want to keep the higher-performing students and look better on tests. So they encourage lower-performing students to exit the school. Uh, researchers have looked at that as well and not found any statistical difference in test scores of students who are leaving charter schools versus those who are remaining behind at the charter school. So again, there's just not any data or research that supports those statements of charter schools are, are always cherry picking or always creaming the best of students. I think that you know, charter schools are, in many cases, you have because they're schools of choice, you have to choose to apply to those schools. And so in many cases, families who are more uh, have been more motivated students who are more committed to supporting their students' education may be applying to charter schools. But on the other hand, um, there's a lot of charter schools that have lotteries. So their admission is random and whoever gets into that lottery you know, is by chance. And so students may be more motivated to apply to that lottery, but there are certainly a great number of those motivated students or families that are remaining behind at district-run schools. So again, to summarize, there's not a lot of research to support that that's the reason why some charter schools are getting better outcomes. 
Um, and I would leave it at that. Okay, I'm going to follow up with you later on after we get into the data with regards to uh, charter schools and the selection of schools, et cetera, and how that comes about. But let's dig into the uh, dig into your report called "Digging into the Data of Charter Schools." It claims that charter schools have closed the education gap between white students and students of color. That's an incredible statement. As you know, a huge amount of income inequality in this country can be attributed to the education that people may have. And if we want to close that income inequality, it's important that we have a strong basis of education to support the opportunities that might be available to people. And the start of that is in high school, graduate with high school degree. Give us some detail about the research the research that supports that statement. I will give a little bit more nuance to that. This report does not say that they close the education achievement gap for all students at all levels and all content types. So I just want to clarify that. This report is focused on graduation rates and we did find that in Colorado, looking at the descriptive data, so just looking at the graduation rates by a disaggregated group, so by students of color, for example, we find that at the six-year graduation rate, which allows students a little bit more time to graduate if they need that extra time, looking at that six-year mark, students of color and white students are graduating at the same rate in charter schools. And that's not the case in non-charter schools, which still see that white students are graduating at a higher rate than non-white students. And what's that difference? Again, this is looking at the six-year graduation rate in non-charter schools, 93 of white students are graduating versus uh, about 90% of black students, 89% of Hispanic students. Uh, So there's about a three to four percentage point gap that remains there. I think, you know, one of the interesting points, though, is that black students at charter schools at the six-year mark are actually graduating at a higher rate than white students at non-charter schools. Um, So you do see that, uh, you know, schools, especially when you're looking at the concentration of black students is in Denver, and there are some charter schools in Denver that are getting high graduation, high school graduation rates and getting strong college going grades. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I think they're getting seeing those other outcomes, too, that are correlated with student success. Dan, I'm going to throw a question at you. If we're getting these kind of results... I guess the question is, you would think that every student should have an opportunity to go to a charter school if those results could be uh, similar for for everybody else. But that's not my question. My question is, it it seems to me that the kids really don't choose where they're going to go to school. The parents choose where they're going to go to school. So how is it that you inform the, the bottom two quintiles of the better education opportunity at charter school? Or how do you help the bottom two quintiles the socioeconomic class start charter schools if they can get the kind of results that Brenda's talking about. We are constantly trying to get the word out about some of the results um, that charter schools across the state are seeing, um, much like Brenda, through her report, has, has been doing. So part of it is making sure that we're getting a word out there um, and informing parents about what are the best options that are available. I think there are some school districts that have taken a more proactive approach to this um, in terms of making sure that all their families are aware of all of the options in front of them. Um, Places like Denver Public Schools in the last decade have have moved to a unified enrollment system uh, where they are publicizing um, information to all their families about all of their schools and the quality of all their schools. um, And families have an option to select their top five choices 
uh, across the entire system. Um, and so I think the more efforts such as that that are happening in local school districts that uh, make sure parents are aware of all of their options, uh, that is one of the better ways to be uh, getting the word out there to families. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Brenda, how many people argue that there's just, well, not how many, many people argue that there is too much focus on post-secondary access and that high schools should focus on other opportunities such as apprenticeships and two-year associate degrees. Tell us why you choose to focus on post-secondary access and readiness rates and what you found. Before you do it, too, also could you tell us the difference, if possible, between the student leaving the charter school to go to uh, post-secondary programs versus the students in the public school system going on to post-secondary education? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a little misconception around the term post-secondary, which some will equate with just a four-year bachelor's degree. And I think the term more broadly encompasses what you just mentioned. It just simply means any education or training beyond high school, which we know that here in Colorado, over three quarters of jobs require some type of training or education beyond high school. So that could be a one-year apprenticeship and certificate to become a welder. It could be a two-year degree to become a dental hygienist. But those would both be examples of post-secondary education. And that's why it's important to look at those numbers. And and especially when we see that high school graduation rates, today graduation rates are high. You have 90% of students in most high schools who are graduating from, from high school. I think what is a more telling indicator of success can be what is the likelihood that those students are going on to post-secondary program, whether that is a CTE program, a two-year degree or a four-year degree or higher. And I think we've seen that in just looking at statewide averages and looking at the data that charter schools are sending their graduates to um, to post-secondary education at a higher rate than non-charter schools. In the data that I have in my report, about 73% of charter high school graduates immediately enroll in college. Again, that could be a two-year or a four-year program versus 63% of graduates from non-charter high schools. And they have a lower college remedial education rate. So they're showing up at college more prepared for college level coursework. And that was just data we had available at the state level. So that's averaging across all different types of charter schools and non-charter schools. And I think it was an interesting story is we did a little bit of spotlight on DSST Charter Network, which is a group of charter schools in Denver that serve middle and high school students. They have high numbers of students of color and low income students. Um, on average, about 85% of their students are a student of, are students of color. And 83% of their students are going to college versus 64% of the districts, a non-charter high school graduate. So a 20 percentage point difference in terms of going to college and much, much lower remedial education rates as well. Um, so I think that's a, a promising story to highlight. Dan, um, you're involved in a at a high level with regards to charter schools, certainly here for Colorado, and you know what's going on nationally. How does Colorado compare to the national trends related uh, in uh, charter schools that are being set up, but also as results around the country? You can give us a little insight. Well, we're very proud of the overall results that charter schools in Colorado have consistently been getting. Um, and whether it's Brenda's report or the the state issues, triennial reports about the state of charter schools in Colorado, they have consistently 
consistently shown that charter schools are getting better results, uh, both in aggregate for kids and then across student subpopulations, whether that's students of color, free or reduced right price lunch students, um, students with disabilities uh, across all of those disaggregated subgroups. We're also, as Brenda alluded to, uh, proud to see that charter schools continue to see some degree of growth here in Colorado. Um, and that's despite the fact that the traditional public school system is seeing a slight decline in overall enrollment across the state, which I think speaks to the value uh, that different parents and communities across the state see in having alternatives and in having and having options such as what charter schools represent. Last thing I'll just mention on that point is that we continue to have one of the strongest charter school laws in the country, which I think is a big factor in contributing to our overall growth and our overall strength of our sector. Uh, we have struck a very good balance between flexibility, but paired with uh, accountability in charter schools in Colorado. That is all I think what contributes to giving us one of the best charter school sectors in the country. Whenever I talk to uh, folks uh, locally and advocate for the charter school program and make some data that you've got, I always hear the same three recounting of information. You cherry pick the students, which you've already talked about. They also talk that you have teachers that have less experience. They're not tenured. And thus, your teacher salaries are much lower and they're not com you know, comparable to what they have to pay in the Denver public school system. So somehow that's an advantage that you have versus the burden that the public schools have by having the higher paid teachers uh, that they have on staff versus lower paid teachers. True? Not true. Uh, it's funny, uh, Earl, that you refer to that as an advantage because I think a lot of our schools would say they would love to be able to pay their teachers more than they currently are. Um, but on account of some of the funding discrepancies we talked about earlier, charter schools do typically end up having to pay their teachers a little bit less across the state of Colorado. In fact, based off of the most recent year of information available, typical charter school teacher is getting paid about $14,000 less than their traditional public school counterpart. Um, and so despite that, uh, we find it particularly encouraging that charter schools are continuing to get the results that they are, even though they're sometimes not able to pay their teachers as much as the traditional public school system. So 10 to 20 percent less than the traditional public school for yeah. teacher and trade school? In fact, for the 2018-19 school year, uh, the typical traditional public school teacher was getting in the neighborhood of $57,000 compared with about $42,000 per year for a charter public school teacher. How in the world do you recruit somebody with such a salary difference? I think uh, sometimes it comes down to the unique missions and models that charter schools represent. And the fact that charter schools have some, some of that flexibility we referred to earlier often enables them to create programs that can be more responsive not only to their students' needs, but also to their teachers' needs. And so for certain teachers, uh, it represents, even though it's uh, sometimes at a lesser pay amount, it represents a, um, a better work environment or a more flexible work environment that they just find that uh, they fit in uh, better in that community. Well, the other cost benefit you have is that uh, you don't have to put in money into the para. Is that true? That is uh, actually not true. So in, in Colorado, because charter schools are part of the public school family, uh, we are also part of the, of the overall para system. I guess that blows a hole. I can't wait to get back to the folks and, and, and give them the additional information that you gave me. We are in the midst of uh, a pandemic. 
And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you how in the world you think the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting education. Brenda, you were brave enough to put out a report called the COVID slide and learning loss earlier this year. And I must admit, I'm reading a lot of material about how we're going back to school. I'm a little bit frightened about our ability to have the kids learn as much as as maybe they would have um, in uh, different circumstances 18, 24 months ago. Give us an update on it, would you please? Yeah, it's a situation that seems to be changing on a daily basis with every day you wake up and there's another school district that's announced a plan or a changing plan. Uh, Schools were going to resume in person in Denver Public Schools and are now not going to for now. So I think it's just one of those situations going to continue to evolve. But what we do know is that students are likely going to have some disruptions and and could be major disruptions. I think many were predicting steep learning losses based on the, the abrupt, abrupt shift to remote learning last spring. And I think if we continue to have remote learning, either fully or partially next year, we can expect to have pretty extreme learning losses. And those students who are already traditionally underserved are going to be the hardest hit by this pandemic and, by the, and experience the highest I would say, learning losses. And I think to tie into kind of the discussion we're having today, you know, I would say that it's it has I think it's gonna have a profound impact on the school choice debate more broadly in that you know, charter schools are one part of the larger school choice that system and parents can choose between they can choose amongst public schools, district run schools, they can choose a neighborhood school, they could choose a fully online school that many parents might be considering as an option now, they could choose a homeschool, go private. So there are a lot of choices and we largely focus on this district run versus charter school kind of debate. But there's a larger picture out there of school choice. And I think this current pandemic is highlighting for parents the need to have a bunch of different options and to find what could work for them right now. And I think, you know, now we have parents who are starting to form micro schools where they're going to partner with kids in their neighborhood to share a tutor or a nanny to have their kids learn in kind of learning pods or learning collectives this fall, this coming next year. So I think we're going to start seeing new ideas coming up. And my hope is that Colorado and other states will start to think about how we can change our policy framework to better support parents, whether that's changing our funding formula, thinking about how we're just doing delivery differently, and how we're ensuring that resources are getting to our lowest income families who might not have the money to most likely don't have the money to hire a nanny or a tutor to stay with their kids. So I think how are we ensuring that equity gaps don't get larger and how are we thinking creatively about our school choice system? That is absolutely fascinating, Brenda. I had not heard, it makes a lot of sense though, to have these learning pods and to hire somebody that would be there to act as a a tutor or some, I guess, a quasi-teacher. That's American ingenuity. I love it. Dan, Brenda, thank you so much for all that you do. And all I can say is that uh, you have my admiration. I know many of the folks that will listen to this podcast, they will also admire what you're doing to make this uh, state a better state with regards to better educational outcomes. And the research that you've done, uh, Brenda, we have a better understanding of those educational outcomes and how they can be improved. And Dan, with you being in the trenches and trying to make certain we have better options available, we can't thank you all enough. Thank you. Thank you, Earl. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, 
please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.